In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, he just adds this parenthetical statement after the birth of Enosh. Then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And from Genesis 4:26 all the way through to Revelation 22 and verse 21, the Bible is instructing us to do that very thing. You know the slew of passages that emphasize the importance of prayer. Pray incessantly, 1 Thessalonians 5:17. Men ought always to pray and never lose heart, Luke 18 and verse 1. Be steadfast or fervent in prayer, Romans 12 and verse 12. We're told over and over again that we should pray. But not only are we commanded to pray through these biblical imperatives, we have two testaments full of examples of people who did just that. You think about people like Moses and Ezra and Daniel and Hannah and Mary and David and Paul and even Jesus. And yet for all that the Bible tells us about the fact that we should pray and gives us examples of other individuals who did pray, we come to this pivotal conversation and we sometimes find ourselves asking How do I get this done and what should I say? It may be the most difficult of all the disciplines to have this conversation with God that we know that we need to have. You know, there are religious traditions where people will regularly recite prayers. You think about Jesus's model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six, verses nine down through verse 12. And people will recite that prayer that Jesus gave the apostles or their monastic traditions that run through the entire book of Psalms. They run through the Psalter every day. And sometimes it's in this form of sort of vain repetition where the prayers are just simply committed to memory and the words simply come out. And for all that's wrong with that. There are certain phrases and certain things to have in our prayer arsenals so that we might know how we ought to approach God. Now, the Bible assures us the Holy Spirit helps us in those times when we don't know what we ought to say. And aren't we glad that that's the case? Romans 8, 26 through 28. So none of us should fear that due to our lack of eloquence or our ability to sometimes get tongue tied and tongue twisted or just a mental lapse or a brain fart, if you will, that we won't be hurt by God. We can and we will. And still. We need to sure up our prayer lives in such a way there are just certain things that we need to find ourselves saying to God. Tonight's lesson, what I want to talk about are seven things that we should say to God every single day. Seven things that we should always be sure to say to God every single day. Now, of these seven things, you may spend more time on one of these than the other, and that's fine. You may even say these things in a different order, and that would be okay too. You may even add to these seven and say, well, I would also add this in my everyday prayer life to God. I would add this phrase or this statement. That would be fine too. But we do rob ourselves greatly if we don't include at least these seven. And so tonight, that's what I simply want us to do. Walk through these seven things that we should say to God every day, no matter what. And hopefully it'll strengthen and bless our prayer lives as a result. If you have your Bible for the first one, turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18, number one, the first thing I say we should say to God every day, and these are in no particular order. The first thing we should be sure to say to God every day is I love you. Now, this idea of love is popular in Christian circles and for good reason. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, John 3 and verse 16. It was the motivating factor in Jesus going to the cross, Romans 5 in verse 8. When Jesus is approached by the scribe in Matthew chapter 22 and he's asked, what's the greatest command in the law? You remember what he says in verse 37 and 38 to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And while we know we should love God and while that is manifested in our deeds and in what we do, it's also something we need to express to God in words and what we say. 
in the superscription that's above this psalm, it says that David voiced these words on the day when God delivered him out of the hands of all of his enemies and out of the hands of Saul. And the first thing David says in Psalm 18 and verse one is, I love you, O Lord, or depending on your translation, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. David not only shows it in his deeds, but it's also on his lips and in his words. If you turn over to Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, David probably is the author of this psalm. You have a similar phrase or statement where the psalmist says, I will love the Lord my God because he has heard my pleas and my cries for mercy. Twice in the Psalter, you have David saying to God, I will love you my strength because you've delivered me from my enemies. And I will love God because he has heard my pleas and my cries for mercy every day. We ought to be sure to tell God that we love him. Now, I appreciate the fact that saying this to God means nothing apart from the deeds. And we show our love to God by what we do. But it's also important that we say it to God and that we include it in our prayers. You remember what John said in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If a man says that he loves God, but then he hates his own brother, he's a liar. John's saying we should avoid that hypocrisy, but appreciate the fact that John expected us to say it. But he wanted our deeds to match up alongside it. And so John just assumes that people that love God would be in the habit of telling God that they love him. Just appreciate this from the human standpoint. Imagine a husband and wife in a relationship and the husband never tells his wife that he loves her, but he expects her to just sort of read it through the deeds. Or just think about children who never hear this from their parents. And I know as you hear this right now, somebody's in this room saying, well, my parents, we weren't we weren't that kind of family. We didn't tell each other that we loved each other vocally. My mom or dad never told me. All the research suggests children are better off when they are verbally affirmed regularly by those that love them most. We need to hear these words and we need to say these words. There is this sort of thing in popular culture that said, I don't know this for certain, but based on what I've read, that Japanese people are not in the habit of saying I love you. Forty five percent of Japanese men from ages 20 to 30 have never said those words before. More shockingly than that, 64 percent of Japanese women in ages 20 to 30 say they don't like to hear that phrase said to them. They prefer the phrase, I like you, because love is too strong a phrase to just be thrown around flippantly. And while it shouldn't be thrown around flippantly, we should be expressing it to God. And so John says in first John 4:19, we love him because he first loved us. God could show us his love on a daily basis and never say a word to us about it. And yet he tells us he loves us. Jeremiah 31 and verse three, he says, I have loved you with everlasting love. And our challenge is every day when we pray to God, we should say those same words back to God every day. Be sure to tell God that you love him. Why does this matter? It matters because we need to guard our hearts against the temptation of making prayer just this business transaction where we're in this business partner relationship, exchanging goods for services. We should view prayer less like two business partners shaking hands that are afraid of getting too personal and more like a bear hug between two family members who love to be in each other's presence. So Psalm 63 and verse four, David says, I will praise you as long as I live. Do you love God? Somebody says, yes, I'm a Christian. Have you told him? Because it matters that we do it and show our love. But it also matters to God what we say. When you think about the discipline of prayer, be careful not to make it all about coming to God based on what he gives. Thomas Merton is a monk and he wrote this one time about our relationship to God and how we should love God simply for being God. He says if we love God for anything less than himself, we cherish a desire that ultimately can fail us and we run the risk of hating him if we don't get what we hope for. If we love God for anything less than himself, we cherish a desire that might fail us. If you just love God for what he does, 
You cherish a desire that might fail you and you might hate God if you don't get what you hope for. And so the devil approaches God in Job one and verse nine. And he says, does Job serve God for nothing? Would Job serve you for nothing? Every day you profess your love to God before anything else. You're saying, God, I love you, not because of what you do, not because of what you give, but just because of who you are. What if before God can you? God, will you? God, I would like you to. What if every day before anything else, you just simply said, God, I love you. Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. We would say with all of your being. And that would include our words. Mark 12 and verse 31 every day, no matter what. Be sure to tell God that you love him because he always loves us back. Now, here's number two. Number two, every day. Be sure to tell God. Thank you. Turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter five. One of the phrases we should say to God every day and these seven things to say to God every day. The second one is be sure to tell God. Thank you. In Ephesians chapter five, beginning in about verse 18, Paul starts talking about what the spirit filled life looks like. What does a person look like who's filled with the spirit? And after he mentions the singing of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs in 19, he says another thing that people that are filled with the spirit do in verse 20 is giving thanks to God. But notice how specific Paul is giving thanks always for all things to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says you should give thanks because you're spirit filled. One of the marks of the spirit filled individual is he or she is a thanksgiver. Go to First Thessalonians chapter five and notice verse 18. In this list of imperatives, as Paul rounds out the book in First Thessalonians five, beginning with verse 16, he says, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. But then notice verse 18 in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Two reasons why Christians should always be giving thanks. Number one, we're spirit filled. But number two, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And every day we should be making sure that we say these words to God. Thank you. You know, it's that time of the year. And it was mentioned a moment ago by chucking the announcements and, and maybe in the prayer about it being fall is thankful time. Thanksgiving. People are talking turkey, but they're also talking about things that they're thankful for and for good reason. As far back as 1789, our country on and off has always celebrated Thanksgiving. And we ought to be grateful for that. Not every country does that, you know, but we've kind of drifted. Today, Thanksgiving is about primarily the three F's, family, football and fatback for the most part. Though there are some other things intertwined and nothing wrong with any of those things. I just want you to appreciate just do any type of history search. Thanksgiving in the United States of America once upon a time was rooted in this idea. We knew and believed that we were a country divinely blessed by God. And Thanksgiving was driven primarily by gratitude for victory, for assurance and from blessings from almighty God. And what I want to say is more than one month a year, one week a year, every day. Those that belong to God should be saying to God, thank you for what you've done. Psalm nine and verse one. I will thank God with all of my heart. I will recount your wonderful deeds every day. Tell God, thank you. Sorgen and Robinson in their book, Cat and Dog Theology, they said every Christian is either a dog or a cat, spiritually speaking. And the way they draw it up is this way. And if you've got pets and if you've got both, you're going to appreciate what they have to say. They say dogs are sort of owner pleasers by nature. Dogs in their mind think to themselves, you pet me, you clothe me, you feed me. You must be God. They say cats are the opposite, though. Cats have this idea in their mind. Hey, you pet me, you clothe me, you feed me, you shelter me. I must be God. And listen, they say everybody in the end, every Christian is either a cat or a dog. 
dog Christians realize it's all about him, cat Christians always feel like it's all about them. Everybody's either a cat or a dog. But people that know where they stand with God, they know and appreciate that everything in our lives comes from God and from his benevolent hand. And so James 1 and verse 17, every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He has given us all things richly to enjoy. First Timothy six and verse 17. And it's in that vein that we continuously express our appreciation to God. Every one of us comes out of the birth canal and into this sea of relationships. You and I are born into these relationships with fathers and mothers, teachers and parents and doctors and nurses and farmers. You're not responsible for your own body, for your own free will, for your own ability to reason. Everything about the human existence shouts gift. And we do snatch it out of his hands in entitlement when we don't pause on a daily basis to say thank you to almighty God. In Luke 17, 11 through 19, Jesus talks about 10 lepers. They were in dire straits. They had no hope of being healed outside of divine intervention and miraculous help. And he heals them. And he says, go and show to Moses or go and offer up to the priest the gift commanded to you by Moses. And you know the account. The one comes back, a Samaritan. And Jesus says, where are the nine? Where are those individuals that I've helped and that I've healed? Don't they know how to come back and say, thank you for all that I've done for you and me? This ought to be pretty easy. To do this one every day ought to be fairly easy. Just start thinking about all of the things that God has blessed you with and just say thank you. For your bill of health that you do have and that you enjoy. For the sound mind that is yours. For your family and loved ones. For a job and an ability to go out and make a living. For the place in which you live. For the people in your lives. On top of all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ that we don't deserve. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Paul says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that's in Christ Jesus. And that ought to cause us to give thanks. You see, the devil would have you and me to believe that outside of God, just remove Jesus Christ out of the occasion. Our lives would pretty much be normal. But the Bible saying you and I, through Thanksgiving, remind ourselves that we know better than that. First Corinthians four and verse seven, Paul says, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you've received it, why do you behave as if you haven't? Turn your Bible to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one is where Paul talks about the wrath of God being poured out and what we fail to appreciate about all of these sins in Romans one from verse 18 down through verse 32. One sin undergirds all of the rest, and it is a disrespect for who God is and a failure to appreciate him. That drives everything else that you read in this list. And so in Romans one and verse 18, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because God has made it known to them, it's clearly seen his divine attributes, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Paul says that everybody in the world knows that they come from God. But some people suppress that reality. They become unthankful. They set themselves up as gods. And then the rest of the chapter is what people do when they think they're in charge and they don't give thanks to almighty God. Every day we should be people saying thank you to almighty God, no matter the station of our lives or though we wish things were better in a world where people are clamoring for more. Christians should be sort of transition or condition to be grateful for everything that God has already done. You know, Miriam, thank God for delivering them through the Red Sea. Exodus 15, 20 through 21. Hannah, thank God for Samuel. First Samuel, chapter two, verses one through ten. 
David sang 51 verses of thanksgiving when he was delivered from the Philistines in 1 Samuel 22 verses 1 through 51. And Solomon broke out in praise and thanksgiving as God pronounced his blessing on the temple. 1 Kings 8, 9 through 14. And we're no better than them. God has blessed us with so many things that we could never pay back or return. And all he wants us to do is to say thank you every day, whether you feel like it or not. And there will be days of our lives where we feel more thankful than others. But this isn't driven by our feelings. It's driven by this divine reality. God has blessed us in ways far beyond our ability to appreciate or realize it. And even the very breath that we use to thank him belongs to him. In him we live and move and have our very being. How dare we live without telling him thank you. Every single day. Here's number three. Every day we should tell God we love him. Number two, every day we should tell God thank you. Number three, every day we should say to God, forgive me. I don't believe Christians are steeped in sin and that we just wallow in it and that there's no hope for us ever being forgiven. The Bible actually says in Romans eight and verse one, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And first John one and verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. That's true. And at the very same time, we do need to appreciate that we sin. We fall short of his glory and we need to daily ask for his forgiveness when we do. Turn your Bible to first John chapter one. First John chapter one includes several truths about the Christian's relationship to sin, even after we've been saved through the waters of baptism. First John chapter one, verse eight and first John chapter one and verse 10 says that if we deny the reality of sin in our lives, we sin in the very denial of sinning. But notice verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess now, this confession is more about admitting this than giving God an update or a book report. God knows that we sin. But the word that John uses here for confess, he means to come clean. And when we do, God always cleans the slate. Hebrews eight and verse 12. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness, your sins and your iniquities. I'll remember no more. Now, let me be clear. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that you and I have the responsibility of cataloging every misstep that we make on a daily basis. And those that we fail to recount and ask specific confessions for are supposedly rolled over into the next day. I don't believe that's the case at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood continues to cleanse us. But as you and I know that we've missed the mark and that we failed every day, we ought to be asking God for his forgiveness and appreciating that he gives it to us. What does David say in Psalm 51 verses one and two? Blot out my transgressions according to your steadfast love, according to your tender mercies. Forgive my iniquities. Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me of my sins. Now, we know the occasion of Psalm 51 is David's sin with Bathsheba. And maybe we don't blow it big time every day like David did in his sin with Bathsheba. But the reality is every day you and I know we say things we shouldn't say. We think things we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. There are good deeds that we know that we should do. And because of fear, our desire to be accepted, the pressures of the culture that's ever about us, we fall short. And when we do, we should be honest enough to beg pardon. The good news for us is that there are few things in the world that God wants to give to his people more than a clean conscience concerning sin. It's not like we're going to have to wrestle the forgiveness out of God's hand. If there's anything that God wants you and me to have, it's a clean conscience with him and with ourselves concerning our missteps and misdeeds. Can you see Jesus around the table with the twelve? He lifts up a cup that previously was enjoyed during the Passover, but it's different now. Matthew 26, 28, he says, this blood of mine is shed 
in the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. It was killing God to see us in sin. And so he let us kill him instead. God desperately wants us to be forgiven. When we tell God, I've sinned, I've fallen short, God longs to forgive. Saying this every day is huge for us. It's important. Because when we say this one to God every day, it puts some things in perspective in our lives. When you find these words on your lips every day, forgive me, it says to you and me, there's only been one perfect person who's ever lived. There's only been one human being who's reached the age of accountability and never had to utter those words, and I'm not him. As spiritually mature and developed as I might like myself to be, or as I might think of myself, every day when you remind yourself, God, forgive me, you're reminding yourself, just like I need to remind myself, that the biggest room in my house is the room for improvement, and the same thing's true for you. You remind yourself every day when you say those words, forgive me, that you know what? If I want to be forgiven, I've got to forgive other people. Matthew 6 and verse 12, Jesus says, Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We remind ourselves that we need to be quick to forgive other people because we also need to be forgiven. We remind ourselves that our biggest problem, when you say those words, forgive me, you're saying to God, my biggest problem is my sin, not anybody in my family's. Not anybody out in society, not anybody in the country or the world. The biggest sin problem in my life is my personal sin. And I need to tell God every day so that I might keep a focus on what really matters most. You and I read Luke 18, 9 through 14, and we really can't believe what we're reading, that this is actually a prayer. Jesus tells the the, the apostles and others this parable in Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. And as the Pharisee starts in in this prayer, you really can't believe it. And we say to ourselves as we read the text, how could he? And we would never. He gives God basically this spiritualized book report. You remember how it goes? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, unjust, adulterers, extortioners, or even as this publican. Now, maybe he's praying with his eyes open. I don't know. But he points out the other guy and he says, I'm not even like him. And we read Luke 18, 9 through 14, and we say to ourselves, I would never say anything like that. And maybe that text is not in the Bible to challenge us to never pray like the publican. Maybe we shouldn't be saying to ourselves, I would never be as arrogant and proud as to pray that prayer. But we should be asking ourselves, would we ever be humble enough to pray the prayer that the publican prayed? In Luke 18 and verse 13, where he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, we may never be proud enough to pray like the tax collector, but are we humble enough? To pray like we should. We might not be proud enough to pray like the Pharisee, but are we humble enough to pray like the tax collector and beg for God's forgiveness to ask him for it when we sin? Because we do. Every day we should be saying to God, forget about the world's sins, as big a problem as that might be. God, be sure to forgive me. Here's number four. Every day we ought to say to God, I love you. We ought to say to God, thank you. We ought to say to God, forgive me. And number four, every day we ought to say to God, help me. You know, there are some things in this life that we cannot do without God's help. John 15 and verse five, Jesus is serious when he says, without me, you can do nothing. You know, Paul's words in Philippians 413. I can do how many things through Christ who strengthens me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what is the reverse of that? We can do nothing without him. We need God's help. We need divine aid to do divine work. And the reality is, if you and I don't find ourselves praying for things, in our personal lives and even congregationally, where we can look at ourselves and say there is no possible way that we'd be able to do this without God's help. We're not praying big enough prayers and we're not living daring enough lives. If everything that we want to do or aspire to do in life can be accomplished through humanistic means without divine aid, we have shot far too low. 
But listen to David in Psalm 18 and verse 29. Through my God, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. David believed he could do the unthinkable with God's help. And so can we. I don't know if you've ever canvassed how many times the Bible refers to God as our help or our helper. You know these verses, but just think about how often the Bible says God is here to help us. Psalm 40, Isaiah 41 and verse 10. God says, I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will save you by my righteous right hand. Or what about this one? Psalm 121 and verse two. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my what? My help. My help's in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Or Psalm 46 and verse one. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Or the famous statement from Samuel that we often find ourselves singing about, 1 Samuel 7 and verse 12. He says, to God alone I lift up my Ebenezer, which is my stone of help. Every single day we ought to say to God before we get started, God, help me. I don't know what you've got planned for this week, but I am sure there are things on your schedule and in your life that you're going to need God's help for and with. And God wants us to ask him. Just think about all of the things that we need God's help with. Think about temptation and trying to overcome sin struggles that continue to creep into our lives. And God wants us to overcome sin, but God's not there with the clipboard saying, well, we'll see how you do. God's standing alongside us saying, I'd love to help you. First Corinthians 10 and verse 13. We need God's help with our attitude, with our speech, with the way that we interact with people. Some of us with our facial expressions, Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. We need God's help. We need God's help with rearing our children. And what about decisions that we make and our efforts to try to point them Godward? Ephesians 6 and verse 4, we need God to help us. We worry about so many things. What about my business? What about my finances? What about my marriage? What about my grown children? What about my aging parents? What about worry? I'm worried about worry. What about school? I want to learn the things, but at the same time, not be overwhelmed by all of the things in the process. We worry about so many things and all of those things need to be committed to God's care as we beg God to help us to live for him on a daily basis and not be swallowed up by the things that would get the best of us otherwise. And so Philippians 4 and verse 6, Paul says, be careful or anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Every single day, say to God, God, I need you to help me. I need your help. I can't do this without you. I need your aid to come alongside me and help me to live and do the things that you would have me to do. There were four sisters, the Barantino sisters. They found themselves in 2010 in a terrible situation. They had a combined income, the four of them, of $106,000. But they also had a combined debt of $182,000. And so being sisters, grown women in their mid-30s, They said, you know what? The only way we're going to come out of this is if we come together. They all left their places of abode and they said we're going to move into one apartment together. Her loan became their loan. Their debt became our debt. They had student loans and mortgage debts and credit card debts and they all came together. Not only did they pay off the debt, but they were able to do it in 18 months. They came together and they helped each other. God sees us in our earthly efforts to try to please him, to glorify him, to live in a world where it's difficult to do so. And God says, I want to help you. But it's one thing to know that God will help. It's a different thing entirely to be courageous enough to ask him to do it. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Imagine going in the gym and somebody walks around the gym boasting, you know, I never need a spotter. 
Listen, that person may be pretty self-sufficient, but you can rest assured they've never really pushed themselves beyond their limits. They've never really challenged themselves, because if you ever do that, you'll know that, hey, I might need somebody to help me. God is not a divine spotter that's there in our lives just in case we need help. God's there as we acknowledge we already are in desperate need of help. And so David says in Psalm 61, verses one and two, when my heart is faint and I find myself overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What mountains haven't we climbed because we tried to climb them alone? What issues have we not yet been able to overcome because we're simply trying to do it in human strength? What daily struggles do we bear because we find ourselves walking through life alone instead of every single day praying to God and saying, God, I really need you to help me. Here's number five. Number five, every day we ought to say to God, I love you. We ought to say to God, thank you. We ought to pray to God every day and say, forgive me and help me. But here's number five. Every day we ought to say to God, help them. Now, this one is about praying for other people. Prayer is a spiritual blessing to be enjoyed for sure. But it is not a spiritual blessing only to spend on ourselves. As you read the New Testament and especially the epistles, one thing rises to the top, especially in Paul's letters. Paul prayed for other Christians, number one. Number two, Paul prayed for other Christians all the time. And number three, Paul always told other Christians that he was praying for them. Now, we're going to do this fast, but go to Romans chapter one. Go to Romans chapter one and just notice what Paul says in verses eight through ten. Romans 1, 8 through 10, Paul says he prayed all the time for the Christians that were in Rome and he never missed the time of praying for them. Paul prayed for the Romans. He had never been to this church before, but Paul says, every time I think about you, I pray. First Corinthians chapter one. If you go over there to first Corinthians chapter one and verse four, this church was riddled with trouble. But Paul says, I thank God for the grace of God that you enjoyed. And Paul says, I always pray and I always thank God for you. And we could run through the entire New Testament. Colossians 1, 3 and 4. Paul prayed for the Colossians. They were on his prayer list, though he had never been there. Ephesians 1, 15 through 16. Paul says, I heard about you guys becoming Christians. And since then, I've been praying for you. The work of faith, the labor of love and the steadfast hope of the Thessalonians got them a continual spot on Paul's prayer list. And even individuals like Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4. Paul says, Timothy, every time I go to God in prayer, your name is on my lips. Listen, pray to God every day, but never go alone. Always pray for other people that some don't even know they need prayers. Pray, help me, but also God help them. There are people that are lost right now tonight that don't know it. And that won't respond to Jesus Christ on their own. They're going to need some help. And God's not going to miraculously intervene and interrupt their free will. But maybe through our prayers and the cooperation of divine providence, those individuals will find themselves in a right relationship with God every day. Pray that God would help other people who needs our help, who needs God's help that we should be praying about. Can you think about some people tonight that we should be praying that God would help them? Can you think about people that are lost in sin can you think about people that are aging and different things are happening with their bodies? And though they're strong in mind, they find themselves weakening in body. Can you think about people trying to raise their children and struggling in that regard? What about people that were once faithful that have strayed away from the Lord? Listen, God's not going to make them faithful and our prayers won't necessarily. But what if we prayed every day for people we know that are out of duty with the Lord, that God would make their lives so unbearable in sin and his graciousness and his goodness so apparent? that they couldn't stand and live another day outside of it. What Samuel says in 1 Samuel 12 and verse 23 is he stares Israel in the face and is about to depart off the scene as their leader. 
They hadn't always done right by Samuel. They chose Saul as their king. But he says in 1 Samuel 12, 23, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. He says, I'm going to pray for you. And every day we ought to find ourselves praying for other people. I love this statement in John 17 and verse 20. Jesus prays first for himself. John 17, one through five. Then for the apostles, John 17, six through 19. But then there's this phrase in John 17 and verse 20, the first part of the verse. Neither pray I for these alone. Listen, there are some people you and I naturally pray for your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. But then what about your neighbors and what about our enemies? And as Neil talked about this morning, what about our rulers? What about people that are sick and shut in that may be absent in body, but hopefully they're not absent in mind? What if you took the bulletin and every day you just pray for two sick members of the church here? Now, you won't be able to pray for all of these people every day, but you could pray for some of these people some of the times. What if all of our prayers weren't about ourselves or our family or our little corner of the world? What if we pray for the church of God in every place? People meeting to serve God in secrecy and in small numbers. Congregations struggling to keep the doors open, but doing the best that they can to be faithful to God. We should be praying every day. God, help me. Yes, but God also help them because there are other people that need you just as much as we do. Here's number six. Every day we should say to God, let me serve. Let me. Let me serve. Romans 12 and verse 11, Paul says, don't be slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Galatians 5 and verse 13 Paul says, brothers, you've been called to freedom, but only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to serve the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Pray to God every day that we won't allow our lives to be taken up by the love of ourselves, by our own desires, by our own will, by a selfishness that gratifies the fleshly desires. But instead that we would spend our lives in serving other people. Pray that God would lead us to serve him in all of the right ways, that we would have open eyes for the open doors, that we would have eyes to see what other people don't see and hands to do what other people won't do and that we would serve God every single day. Pray, God, let me serve. We should be saying to God every day, God, give me somebody's feet to wash. Listen, it won't be glamorous, but it will be godly. Whose feet can I wash today? Who can I serve? John 13, 1 through 17, that nobody else will. What opportunities am I overlooking right in front of me? God, let me serve you today. Find a way to open up a door for me to serve. Roger Washington's a name that won't mean much to you, but he's a man I knew in Daytona. He wasn't a big name preacher. He preached in a lot of places. He's spending some time now taking care of his aged father. But he was a man who encouraged me to preach. I would go and visit his mother before she passed away. And he encouraged me. We talked Bible. We talked theology. He talked to me about preaching. And, hey, you ought to go to preaching school and all of these things. And one of the things Roger always said to me as I was leaving his house, he'd say, Brother Kemp, no matter what, when you go out, if you want to preach, if you want to serve God and be a faithful Christian, he would say, Brother Kemp, look for needs. He said, most people that need help, they're not going to be wearing a sign. They're not going to tell you they need help. But he said, remember Matthew 25, 31 through 46 and look for needs, look for opportunities to serve. And when those opportunities arrive, then you need to step in and be willing to do it. What does Jesus say in that judgment scene? I was there and you didn't serve me. And they said, Jesus, where did we see you hungry, thirsty and prison and naked? You see, they saw people. But they didn't see Jesus. What was wrong with them? Their heart? No, it was their eyes. They missed the opportunities right in front of them. And we need to pray to God every day that we don't miss it. Every day, say, God, let me serve. And here's the seventh and final one tonight. We ought to say to God every single day, God, remind me. Every day we ought to pray to God that he might remind us. 
Susan McKinnon is a lady that they say is the first person to suffer, at least to be known to suffer with this regard. She doesn't have Alzheimer's. She doesn't have dementia. But she has a special memory issue where she can't remember things that had just recently happened to her as far as autobiographical things are concerned. She has no episodic memories. She remembers things in the distant future. But like you and I might be able to go back in our minds and relive a moment and know what that felt like or know what we were feeling in that moment. She can't remember any of those things. She remembers the basic outline of things that happened, but the details escape Susan. And there are parts of that that could be a blessing, but there are other parts of it that can be a curse. She doesn't remember much about her wedding day. She knows she was there, but she doesn't remember what she said and why she married the man that she did. She doesn't remember vacations that they've taken together and even things that she bought on those vacations that hang up in her home. She says, I remember many things, but most of it is just fuzzy. And, you know, in the last amen is said tonight. And we go out into the world. The devil in the world around us starts working on us over time to make the truths of God fuzzy. And every day we ought to pray to God. God, remind me. Don't let me forget. If Israel had a problem spiritually that you could summarize for them in the Old Testament, it was their short term memory. God said, when you get into the promised land, Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18, don't forget, you didn't plant these trees or build these houses. You didn't part the Red Sea. God gave them so many things to help them remember. He says, here's what we'll do. I'll give you feast days. And I'll give you memorials. And in this Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to put Aaron's rod that butted in there, a pot of manna that'll never spoil, a copy of the Ten Commandments. Why? Because I don't want you to ever forget what I've done for you as your God. And we ought to pray to God every day. God, help me remember. Help me remember that this life isn't all there is. And there is a judgment coming. Second Corinthians five and verse 10. Help me to remember who I am and that my life matters to you no matter what else the world says about me, that I matter in your eyes. Help me to open up the word of God and to see things that are wonderful to my eyes. Psalm 119 and verse 18. God, remind me every day of these eternal truths that I'm tempted to forget otherwise. You read the book of Genesis and don't you know that the cupbearer wanted to remember Joseph? He had plans to remember him. And Genesis 40 and verse 23 says, but he forgot him. In fact, when Pharaoh finds himself in the conundrum with his dream in chapter 41 in verse nine, the cupbearer says, now I remember my fault this day. Finally, he remembers Joseph, but he forgot. Israel was fed and was fattened and was blessed. And God says in Hosea 13, five through six, as soon as you got everything you wanted, everything you needed in life, you forgot about me. We ought to pray to God every day and say, God, remind me of how far you brought me. For all of the spiritual development we want to enjoy, we should be reminded of how far God's already brought us and appreciate the fact that Christian development is a lifelong journey. Justification happens the minute we obey the gospel, but sanctification is a lifelong process. And God, be sure that I don't run out and get ahead of you and my desire and my zeal to do more for you. Remind me that it takes a lifetime to become your disciple. And I'm in line doing the very best that I can. Remind me that other people are often doing the best that they can. And may I not be overbearing or too hard on them. Remind me to show grace toward others and grace toward myself because you've shown grace toward me. Every day we should pray that God would not let us forget his goodness, his love toward us and where we stand with him as his people. Every day we ought to pray that God would remind us. You know, these seven things we ought to say to God every day are in no particular order. And maybe one day you spend more time telling God you love him than you do confessing sin. Or maybe one day because of things going on in our personal lives and people we know, we spend more time saying, God, help them than we do saying thank you for things going on in our lives. But every day there are just certain things that we ought to find ourselves saying to God. The song that we sung this evening from Psalm four and verse one. Hear me when I call from Tedley, O God of my righteousness. That's from Psalm four and verse one. The blessing is he does hear us when we call. The question is, will we call?
And when we call, what will we say? I hope you have a great week. And I hope every single day you say these seven things to God. He'll be waiting. He wants to hear from us. He wants to help us. He wants to bless us. Maybe tonight somebody needs to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says we do that by submitting to Jesus in faith, turning from sin and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. According to Acts 22 and verse 16, once you do that, you rise to walk in newness of life. You enjoy this new relationship with God. You're on speaking terms with God in a way you've never been before. And God wants to hear from you every day. If we can help you to do that for the first time, if you've done that in the past and we can pray on your behalf, we'd be happy to pray for God to help you as well. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.